You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Church Midtown. The great theologian Augustine of Hippo once said that in the Old Testament, the new is concealed. In the new, the old is revealed. When we think of the messianic prophecies from this perspective, we see that the Old Testament whispers to us about the coming of the Messiah. Join us during our Advent sermon series titled Rumors of the Messiah, where we confirm the whispered prophecies of the Old Testament that told of the birth, suffering, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peace be with you. Today's scripture reading is Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times, when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan, and to Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. For every trampling boot of battle and the bloodiest garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast, and his prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, praise the Lord. Amen. What a joy it is to be with you all this morning. It is a delight to be able to share the word of the Lord with you. If you are a first-time guest, we just want to say welcome. We pray that a song will be sung or a word spoken that will enrich your life in Christ Jesus. Before we dive into today's text, I do want to simply say thank you. Uh, yesterday, this auditorium was emptied out of the chairs. We had tables set up and we had uh, hundreds of gifts out uh, for people in the community to come and to uh, purchase Christmas gifts um, and for people within the church to purchase Christmas gifts for their children. We had an overabundance of gifts. I don't know how many gifts were left over, but you as a congregation showed up and showed out. Amen. <laughs> Not only that, we had so many volunteers. Amen. So many volunteers. Over a hundred kids were able to get multiple very well thought out Christmas gifts uh, because of your love and because you wanted uh, to help them. Next week, we'll probably have some pictures up to show you some shots of the gifts that were given, uh, but I simply want to say thank you. So thank you. I'm going to pray and we're going to dive right into today's text. 
Holy Father, we thank you for this opportunity to dive into your word. What a gift your word is. What a delight, what a joy. And I pray, Father God, as we dive into your word, that you would capture our attention so that we can receive from you. Holy Spirit, would you soften our hearts and make it fertile soil for such a time as this? Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name. Recently, a friend of mine put me on to a story that I was unfamiliar with. And the story is a true story about the first year of World War I, where allies and German forces stopped fighting for a day. This has been come to know as the Christmas truth of 1914. And on Christmas in 1914, German and British soldiers went out into the middle of no man's land and sang Christmas carols to each other across the lines and calling out Merry Christmas in their enemies' native tongues. On that day, soldiers from both sides put down their guns and left their trenches to meet their enemies in no man's land to celebrate Christmas together. They exchanged gifts of tobacco, rum, and chocolates, and photographs of loved ones. They sang songs, played a game of soccer, and buried each other's dead. Then, the next day, it was back to their trenches to fight a war that would last four more years. You know, sometimes Christmas can feel like this. Sometimes Christmas can feel like we have to set aside the brokenness and the darkness that we see in our world and in our lives so that we can have a holly jolly Christmas. As one author writes, we do feel the world is broken, not as it should be. And we don't like it. And so our collective tendency is to downplay or to deflect these feelings, especially during Christmas. And that is why Advent is a gift for us. And for those of us who are a little less familiar with the term Advent, Advent is the church's celebration of the coming of Jesus Christ. It celebrates the two appearances of Christ, his first appearance 2,000 years ago, when Christ came in humility and suffering, dying to bear the sins of many. And his second, when he will come in glory and triumph to save those eagerly waiting on him, Advent. Advent is a gift because it gives us the opportunity to acknowledge and to own the darkness around us and within us while not letting it dominate or define us. Advent. Advent is not the Christian version of Christmas. 
Our invitation in this season isn't to go around saying, Merry Advent. No. The message of Christ in the season said things are dark. It says things are distressed. It says things can't be changed by human efforts. But it also points us to the victorious light of Christ where there is hope. Advent reminds us that only when we face the darkness with the light of Christ will we find hope. Today, I simply want to encourage you to face the darkness with the light of Christ and to embrace hope. Not just for one day on Christmas where we get out of our metaphorical war trenches and say Merry Christmas, but every day. If anyone understands darkness, it was Israel during the time of Isaiah's writing. Israel's king Ahaz had turned out to be a, a horrible man. and The people followed in his footsteps. And as a result, the Israelites found themselves in the middle of a national crisis. Rumors were flying through Jerusalem of an impending military attack by the Assyrians. And a glance over the wall of Jerusalem took in the sight of an enemy on every hillside. Everyone was in panic. Everyone was terrorized. They were asking questions like, what can we do? What do we do? How do we get our act together? Does Yahweh still have our back? And these were the questions that were within each person's heart and that slowly stammered from each person's lip. And yet, nevertheless, God in the midst of darkness gives hope to the people of Zebulon and Naphtali, people who were the most downcast of them all, a people with whom slavery and despair weren't formed because they were often the first to come under attack whenever Israel was invaded. So in the midst of their darkness, God gave them a word. It was the word that was needed for those who were walking in despair. It was a word for those who were in the land of darkness, a people who were oppressed and trampled on by the boot of battle. It was a word that one day these people would see a light. They will one day have an increased joy as in the harvest time. They will one day be delivered from the staff of their oppressor. Now let's take it from Israel and bring it to today. And I think that it's safe to say that there is some darkness today in this room. If you pause long enough, you, could, you can feel it. And in the fallen world, there is always some darkness. All it takes is for you to turn on a television and to watch the local news for, for 10 minutes, and this will become evident. Studies are popping up left and right saying that anxiety, depression, and despair have risen since the pandemic lockdown last year. A study recently done by Boston University found that depression among adults in the United States tripled from 8.5% to 27.8% the first few months of the pandemic in early 2020. 
In 2021, the study showed that depression rates kept rising. Now it is at a staggering 32.8% by those who were polled. That means that one in every three adults are statistically experiencing some form of depression in America. Our culture seems to be experiencing a collective darkness. Do you feel like Israel this morning? Do you feel like you've been stepped on, walked over, and looked over? Do you feel beat up, beat down, and tossed around? Have you ever been disgraced, discarded, or even disenfranchised? Have you ever felt misused or misfortunate or misunderstood? Have you ever felt like the darkness is just too much? Well, if you have, I simply drop by to encourage you that there is hope. That light can break through the darkness. That the Messiah has come. And that God has a solution for your pain. As human beings, we all are surrounded by a well-trained enemy. The flesh, the world, and Satan. The Bible teaches us that we can't save ourselves no matter what we do. The Bible teaches us that our education won't get us out of the darkness. Our good works won't get us out of the darkness. Our charm won't get us out of the darkness. Our friends can't get us out of the darkness. Our connections or our pedigree can't get us out of the darkness. A president cannot get us out of of the darkness. Nor with drugs, alcohol, or any acts of the flesh. There is only one solution for the darkness. The Bible tells us today that only God himself can get us out of the darkness. In this passage, God gives his people hope amid darkness through a prophet and through a sermon. A sermon about a child. Verse 6 says, For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. This is kind of strange that the child, that a child is an answer for Israel. And by the way, this is the same child that we preached about a couple weeks ago based on Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. This child who would crush the serpent's head while bruising his heel. I want you to pause and I want you to use your holy, sanctified imagination. I want you to picture Israel surrounded by enemies who want their heads on a stick and who want their promised land. And I want you to imagine that suddenly our, our, our country is like Israel. I want you to imagine that our country suddenly is in, in conflict. I want you to imagine that World War III has broken out. And our country is surrounded on land and sea. And the enemy's planes are flying overhead. And I want you to imagine that you to come to church on Sunday morning to hear a, a word from God. You come to church Sunday morning to hear a word from the preacher to, to ease your fears. And all of a sudden, the preacher stands up behind this pulpit and says, 
Don't worry. A child is coming. You say, what's wrong with pastor? A child is coming? What in the Harry Potter? What in the Chronicles of Narnia? What boss baby? What is going on? Why are you talking about a child? We don't need a child. We need the Avengers. It's baffling that God's prescription for peace often isn't what we think we need. It's baffling that God's thoughts are not our thoughts, nor his ways our ways. As far as the east is from the west, is as far as his thoughts is from our thoughts, and his ways is from our ways. Isaiah stands in the middle of Israel while they are surrounded by the enemy feeling hopeless and he preaches a sermon and he said a child a child text says that a child will be born for us a a son would be given to us and little did Israel know that a child is exactly what she needed born for us given to us this is This is grace. God didn't have to give Israel anything, let alone a a, a, a child. For after all, Israel was in the situation that she was in because of her own rebellion. But yet God in his mercy and out of his love says, I'm going to give a child. And this child isn't any kind of child. John chapter 3, 6. Verse 16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave a child, a child that would submerge himself in our biology, psychology, sociology, and history. He gave a child, a child that will become one of us in order to save us, although he is more than us. He gave a a child. A child who would be named Jesus, Yahshua, Emmanuel, God with us, a, a child. And this child, the Bible says, would, would have the entire government resting on his shoulders. What child do you know? Can sit under the entire rule, the entire domain of a, of a kingdom. What child do you know? can have an entire community resting on his shoulders. There's only one child. The child is a king, and a child in the text has four descriptions connected to him. And those four descriptions are the key to us having hope in the midst of darkness. The first description is that the child is given is the title of Wonderful Counselor. Literally, he is a wonder of a counselor. I love that. He is a wonder of a counselor. He's not a dictator. He's not a consultant. He is a counselor. He he listens more than he talks. Jesus was a great listener during his entire ministry, wasn't he? There's so many great stories of him listening. And even today, in your baffled state, I want you to know that Jesus lends his ear to you. 
Jesus is waiting on you to talk to him. And here's the good news, he won't charge you. There's no insurance required. He won't tell your secrets, he won't rush you, and neither will he condemn you. Isaiah 42 and three says, he will not break a bruised reed and he will not put out a smoldering wick. This morning I want you to hear this wonder of a counselor whispering to you, cast your cares on me for I care for you. I want you to hear this wonder of a counselor whispering to you, my child, I love you. I want you to hear this wonder of a counselor inviting you to, to cast that, that heavy load on him. To trust them even when you can't trace them. To know that he'll never leave you nor forsake you. To know that he knows your name. He knows your address. He knows your phone number. He knows your predicament. He knows your darkness. And he's not intimidated for even the darkness is as light to him. is more than a counselor. The Bible says that he is a mighty God. See, the miracle of Advent is that God becomes a, a man and he, John chapter 1, he, he makes his dwelling among us. He, he pitches a tent among us. The gospel tells us that, that God descended so that we could ascend. C.S. Lewis beautifully puts it this way. In the Christian story, God descends to re-ascend. Mm. He comes down, down from the heights of absolute being into time and space, down into humanity, down further still. But he goes down to come up again and bring the whole ruined world up with him. One has a picture of an Armstrong man stooping lower and lower to get himself underneath some great complicated burden. He must stoop in order to lift. He must almost disappear under the load before he incredibly strengthens his back and marches off with the whole mass swaying on his soldiers. Is that not what Jesus did? Entering into the virgin's womb, putting on human flesh, entering into our dark and decayed state, becoming one of us, stooping low under the crushing weight of your sin and my sin, nailing it to a cross, burying it on a third day, rising with all power and victory. Not only is he a wonder of a counselor, not only, not only is he an, a mighty God, but the text says that he is an eternal father. He's a big brother who can father his siblings. It's pretty incredible what Jesus did with his disciples. He took 12 ordinary men. And he shepherded them, he fathered them, he provided them with food when they were hungry, with water when they were thirsty, with a vision of a meaningful future. He provided them with understanding and greater clarity about the mysteries of God. 
But not only did he provide them for them, but he protected them. He protected them from themselves, from each other. He protected them from, from Satan who sought to devour them. He protected them from the religious leaders of their day, from, uh, from these wolves who were in sheep clothes. And he fathered them. Not only to his death, but through his resurrection and his ascension. And today the Lord wants you to know that he's here to father you. Not only this, but the text says that he is the prince of peace. This, this might have been my favorite to dwell on this week. The prince of peace. Another term for prince here is the word the administrator. He is the, the child who administrates peace. Peace, a rich Hebrew word called shalom, meaning wholeness. Peace is what we all need in this holiday season. It's what we all need every day. It's what some of us desire more than others, but the peace is what God says this child will bring. As a child rules, peace develops. As a child rules in your heart, peace develops. I love what Eugene Pearson says about peace. He says, peace is the harmony that comes from putting everything together so that it fits. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He is the administrator of wholeness, shalom. When this child king comes, verse 7 says that his dominion will be vast and prosperity will never end. It's this theme of increase. When this child king comes, there will be an increase of joy. There will be an increase of peace. There will be an increase of, of wholeness. There will be an increase of, of peace, joy, joy. Not, not happiness. Happiness is circumstantial, but peace. Peace is the ability to stay put and to have hope. Because your hope is anchored in the Lord when everything around you is going wrong. This child will, will administrate peace. His dominion will never end. I don't know about you, but I want that peace. I need that peace. I believe that that peace is available today. I believe that that peace is available for you right now. I believe that God sees your darkness. He, he knows your pain and he is inviting us collectively sojourn midtown to experience his grace through this child that became a man that fulfilled this prophecy and, and put on human clothes and, and ascended unto heaven and is soon to return. I'm so glad that his kingdom is a kingdom that is unlike the kingdom of this world. I'm so glad that his kingdom is a, a kingdom of justice and righteousness. A kingdom where children won't be harmed and lose their lives by policies and bad politics. A kingdom where there will be no more marches or protests, no more grand juries, no more picket signs or packed out courtrooms filled with marginalized persons holding their breath as they pray for justice. A kingdom with 
No more tears from mothers or no more gin being poured out for the lost homies. A, a kingdom where there is no more need for a neighborhood watch organization or information tip lines. A kingdom that is free of ballot boxes and redlining. A kingdom where everyone has clean water. A kingdom free from war where the lion will lay down with the lamb and the child can play with the cobra without being bit. A kingdom where every citizen lives in a mansion handcrafted by the love of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A kingdom of justice and righteousness. If you want this wholeness, it requires humility. A humility that requires you to look outside of yourself. Outside of your works. Outside of your wisdom. Outside of empty well wishes. To a child. A promised child. A conquering child. A child who came to heroically die to save his bride, the church. Pastor Jamal, it all seems too good to be true. How will the darkness be lifted as I look to this child king? Pastor Jamal, if I keep it 100 with you, I don't have the energy to save myself from the darkness. Well, here's the good news and, and then I'm done. The good news is that you can't save yourself. And not only can you not save yourself, but that God is zealous to save you. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 7 says that it is the zeal of the Lord of armies that will accomplish this. The zeal of the Lord of the armies will do it. How do you face the darkness with hope? You remember the zeal that God has for you to lift you from the darkness. A zeal that allowed Jesus to be despised and rejected by men. A zeal that allowed him to be pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities, where the punishment of our peace was placed on him and where we are healed by his wounds. A zeal that allowed him to go up the Via Della Rosa, the road of sorrow. And against all odds, like, like the best of the Avengers, he took it all into himself took it to a grave and he rose with all power. A zeal that allows you to face the darkness with hope. How do you experience this peace? How do you experience the benefits of this wonderful counselor? How do you experience this, this mighty God in your heart? You do it by keeping your mind fixed on this promise-making, promise-keeping, sin-breaking, death-defeating, life-giving king. You do it by reminding yourself when enemies surround you that you are loved and you know that you're loved because of the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. Keep your mind fixed on this king by reminding yourself that yea, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you shall fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. Isaiah 26 and 3 says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is staying on him. 
I just stop by to encourage you to, to take your, your problem off uh, your mind, just for a second, off of your circumstance and to put it on your Christ. To, 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 to take this for a minute, just for a minute, I know it's hard, but to, just to shift, just to shift your gaze from what's irritating you to the one who came to redeem you. Just to lift your eyes from your navel to his throne. Just to, to take your eyes off of the lack and to put your eyes on the one who said that a cattle on a thousand hills belong to him. Just for a second, take your eyes off of what is sad and, and put it on the one who promised that everything that is sad will come untrue. I dare you just for a second, rather than throw a pity party, to just turn around and throw a praise party, remembering what he has already done for you. He's already made a way. He's already healed you. He's already provided for you before. He's given you peace when you thought that there was no access to peace and joy when you thought there was no access to joy. He's, he's regulated your mind once before and he can regulate your mind once again. He allowed the sunshine to come out from behind the clouds when, when everything told you that it still should be darkness. Sometimes you got to give God a sacrifice of praise. Sometimes you got to just praise him on credit. Knowing that he's already paid the bill and, and, and the money is already on the way. Sometimes you just got to stop and just worship him. And say, God, you're so faithful. God, you're so good. God, you are a wonderful counselor. God, you are the Prince of Peace. You don't have to praise him. I'll praise him all by myself. God, you've been so merciful and compassionate. God, you are slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. God, you, you walk with me and you talk with me. You, you wash me and you purge me. Even when I don't want to be washed or purged, you are a friend that will never forsake me. In the midnight hour, God, you are there. Christian, God's invitation to you today is to keep your mind on the Prince of Peace. God's invitation for you today is not to ignore the darkness. It's not to act like it's not there and walk around and say Merry Christmas. No, God's invitation for you today is to realize that Doomsday is defeated and in the midst of the darkness to walk with your head held high because you are a king's kid. You are a peculiar person, a royal priesthood, a, a holy nation. And God is in the midst working even when you can't see him. A child, a child, a child would be born for us. A son will be given to us four and two, four and two. What is Christmas about? It's about this gift that was born for us and given to us. Gift that we can't earn, don't have enough to earn. Gift that we don't deserve, a gift that keeps on giving.
Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit sojournchurch.com slash midtown.